We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast. This is your host, Eric McKelkey. And on today's show, we have Karen Dudek-Brannon joining us. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Um, so the topic today, we're going to dive into executive functioning. Why don't we start with just just tell us why that's such a passionate topic for you and, and what you're doing with executive functioning. So the reason that I got into this space is so my background and my area of focus initially was I was a speech pathologist for 14 years in the school systems and was also working on my doctorate in special ed at the same time. So my my area of focus was really in the language and literacy space and figuring out how to support, you know, give students the support that they need with learning the language skills to learn to read, write, and all the other things that you need to do that kind of globally impact students across the day and their ability to function in the curriculum, but also really that sets them up for success after school. And what I found in my work, um, where I've been really focusing is supporting the, initially was focused on supporting the speech pathologists and figuring out what they should be doing to support students' language and literacy skills. They have you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes a week tops with their students. They don't have a lot of time. They need to be very focused in their intervention. And so that was really the first issue that I tackled with my dissertation research. So it was a lot about language and vocabulary and metacognition. And the metacognition piece was really key because if you're working on language and you have 30, 40 minutes a week with students, you have to figure out a way to get them to think about language and learning differently so that when you send them off to their class or whatever else, they continue learning and applying skills beyond your therapy room because you can't clone yourself and follow your students around all day and support them. And um, one of the other pieces that comes up with language is also the executive functioning piece, 
which is just the ability to self-regulate and engage in goal-directed behavior. So the way that I originally approached language and vocabulary is kind of layering on executive functioning to that and not necessarily teaching students what to learn. Because with vocabulary, there's this whole emphasis of like what words are relevant to students, um, what vocabulary is useful, how do we prioritize what words we should be teaching students and things like that. And that's going to support reading comprehension and all of those types of things. But in order for that to be really useful, you know, seeing as how you can't teach kids every single word that they need to know, you really need to give them a means for understanding how to problem solve when they actually come to an unfamiliar word, for example. So that's why I knew I needed to kind of layer on a lot of problem solving and um, like what I refer to as metacognition in my research. But really, when I started to support the language and literacy professionals, a lot of them would kind of come to me and say, this is great that I know what to do when I have students in front of me. But then they realized that a lot of the students weren't necessarily getting the support from across the day, both at school and at home. And so I needed to kind of figure out a way to focus on a set of skills that was kind of that was going to be the glue that held everything together. And really, that's what executive functioning is. Um, you know, if I were to define and and again it's it's more of a cluster of skills rather than one set of skills but it's really something that can amplify anything that you're working on whether it be language whether it be content areas whether it be um, getting ready for school or getting ready for bed and brushing your teeth um, just being able to think ahead and make plans and predict what might happen or use information from past events to make decisions about the future and problem solving and self-monitoring and breaking down tasks into steps, estimating how long thing will, things will take. And then also just with building relationships with other people and knowing how to interact in a social situation, knowing how to read the room and pay attention to what's going on and um, adapt your behavior accordingly and understand how you're coming across to others, how your behavior affects others. So it's this thing that just can really amplify your performance in any situation. And there is a lot of information about this in the field of speech pathology, but also in some of the other fields as well, psychology, social work, and the mental health fields. And it just impacts so many things. And so the work that I do right now is really focused on helping the, uh, the members of the IEP team get executive functioning support in place for students across their day. Because if you just focus on, you know, like if you have a student who's struggling in class with, you know, behaviorally following directions, academically, um, a lot of times therapists will get referrals for social skills, students who are having a hard time forming friendships. And a lot of times there's this focus on the traditional model of just pulling kids out and working on those skills in a separate setting. And really that doesn't work that well when it comes to executive functioning because there is a component that can be addressed in a pullout setting, but then there's also this other component that needs to happen across the day. So really the whole team needs to be on board. And I found that when I was just helping therapists, like this is what you do in therapy, I really wasn't covering all of the bases. And so I just felt like I was only covering the tip of the iceberg and I just wanted to do more as far as helping the teams get effective supports in place. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you about that. I've 
I've I've seen that on the school side when students are referred to you or another um, you know service provider. It almost is the expectation that well they're going to go with that lady and they're going to come back and suddenly have these skills and yeah. it's not really tied together with the team. And in secondary schools, you know, you have a student who might have eight different teachers a day. Um, it doesn't always f follow the student and become a part of what's going on in the classroom. How can schools get better at that? If you, if you have students with those needs and we have people like you working with them, how can the school help students practice those skills, internalize those skills and actually make, make a difference throughout the day? One of the biggest things that I think people can do is really consider the model that they're using to provide the services. What the way that I explain it is to my to the therapist is planning for service delivery before you're planning for therapy. Because if you don't understand what everybody else is doing to support a student, it's really hard to figure out what your role is in that process and what you should be doing when that when you have that student in front of you and how to actually plan what you need to do in order to do your job. So for example, with the therapy model and when you think about what needs to happen for students to apply executive functioning skills across context, there really needs to be three components there. Um, so we need sort of a priming and front loading. They do need to learn skills and when you're in a big classroom, it is hard for teachers to have the bandwidth to do that. So the therapist or the whoever else it is, it could be uh, you know, a therapist, it could be a special ed teacher, it could even be a paraprofessional who's trained and knows how to pull a student aside and front load. But to teach them the skills and to help them plan for some of those, those tasks that happen in the classroom where they might get stuck where you might see students refusing or not following along with work or you know, showing behaviors that look like defiance or laziness, but really it, there could be something else going on. So really you need that priming aspect where they are actually learning certain skills and preparing for situations. So you need that aspect, but then in addition to priming, you need application in the actual real life situation. So that means that when the therapist or whoever it is that's working with the child sends them off to their classroom or even, um, you know, the parents can even do this in the home, which is, you know, they're, they're at their basketball practice or whatever, whatever that situation is where there's a lot going on and they have to apply those skills. They need the front loading, but then they also need somebody in there whose eyes and ears knowing how to model and support and jump in when intervention is needed in a classroom writing assignments are a common one where this comes up because writing requires a lot of executive functioning. Any student who is, um, you know, a lot of students who get special education services, writing is just this huge Achilles heel where you see a lot of behaviors and avoidance and not wanting to do it. And, and a lot of times it's just, it's overwhelming and they are getting stuck at one step in the process that might not seem as obvious to the teacher or person supporting them because it's so easy for that person that they don't realize, oh, wow, this other person, you know, needs help. Um, and so they need, there, there needs to be actual support in place when those things are happening. So you've got mod, you've got priming, you've got support in real life context. And then there can be this sort of review rehearsal and repriming where it's like, we planned, we went and did it. 
And then now we are going to review how that went and reflect and, um, you know, talk about what well, what went well, what didn't go well, model some self-talk and things like that, and then prime again for things in the future. Because what when students struggle with executive functioning, what is hard for them is that they have a hard time taking information from past events and applying it to the future. That's known as episodic memory. And so that's why they don't, quote, learn from their mistakes or things seem very stressful for them because they can't take one situation that's similar and think, okay, I did this over here and I could apply those skills over here to this other new situation that's similar, but not exactly the same. And so we do need to be able to model and prompt and talk them through that and model the internal dialogue and self-talk that they need to plan and take evidence from this situation where they did well and apply it to the new situation so they're confident about it. Um, a lot of those things that are going on internally in your head that come naturally to a lot of people, these students might not be doing. So there does need to be a lot of modeling and talking through things that are going on in, internally. We need to bring that externally for them so that they can see it because that's how they're going to learn. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, with the service delivery, it's like if you're just thinking about a direct therapy model, you can't necessarily cover your bases. You have to also think about consultation and collaboration and coaching. And so a therapist might have to go in and coach or provide some training to those teachers or maybe be in their classrooms. It has to go beyond just the, I pull kids out and that's the, the only model I use. And so that's why you kind of need to think about that because then that helps you to plan your day um, when you're thinking about all those other ways that you can be of service. Well, and even well-intentioned teachers you know, if they're not in the meeting or they don't yeah. have a conversation, they'll read the emails and see what needs to be in place for the individual student. Um, that can be overwhelming because you've got yeah. the behavioral needs, the academic needs um, from IEP teams and counselors and um, different service providers. But how, with executive functioning, how much of what will help students that struggle with those skills, how much of that can just be like a universal um, intervention in the classroom where by setting up things mm -hmm. with, with executive functioning in mind would, would benefit all kids. Are there some things that teachers can do to help feel like it's not so much a special plan for a unique kid, but something we can do in all of our classes or across the school? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that when you're thinking about universal, universal design, it definitely can be something that's embedded into the school culture. So, I mean, this is, this is something that a lot of teachers know, but the more that you can be clear about what the expectations are and provide structure, the better. Um, because some students, if they ha are, have pretty good executive functioning, they may be able to tolerate things that are a little bit looser as far as guidelines and structure. They may have a better tolerance for that, but they're still going to benefit from structure being put in place, whereas the other students might need that in order to fully access the curriculum, which is essentially what we're talking about when we're talking about universal design. So any way that teachers can provide some kind of visual and supports for steps and processes and talk through those types of things, the better. Um, so the other thing that that teachers can do is just be aware of 
the fact that there are certain things that we do internally when we're thinking through steps and processes that certain students aren't going to do on their own if they don't have explicit teaching of it. So any ways that they can model when there's some kind of a process in their classroom that requires a lot of steps, model the way that they would talk through thinking about that planning out loud, even if it's something that seems obvious to them, modeling those steps and processes and creating visuals for, for what those actual steps are, the better. And it's really sometimes difficult to say like, this is what, these are the steps and these are the, the protocols that you need in place. But really just having the awareness that some students are not doing that and they might need it can be a really big help for teachers. And then I think also just the other thing that is when I say this is something that needs to be done, a lot of team members will say, well, I don't have time to do that because we don't have time to meet. So I think just having a person who's sort of a go-to as your executive functioning person, whether that be a therapist, whether that be a special ed teacher or whoever, having a person that can kind of go around and do an audit of the classroom and see what are these areas where the teachers are seeing behaviors, um, seeing students get stuck, because then that's what's going to help them drill down and figure out where they might not necessarily have those supports in place. And that could be very different for um, every classroom and then also finding ways to give staff time to do that or helping them through or coaching them through ways that they can efficiently communicate as a team if they have a bunch of busy people who are having a hard time meeting. So um, there's not necessarily one catch-all intervention. It's just, I would say the, the biggest thing that leaders can do is make sure that they give their staff access to the support and resources to be able to figure out how that looks for their building. Yeah, and time is always the tough, the tough variable because there's never enough time for teachers for anything, you know, yeah. meeting curriculum, unique student situations. But I like I like those ideas. I was I was thinking about the visuals you were suggesting and yeah. the multi-step process. Like I was in a classroom where a teacher had an assignment and they had listed out the steps, including what to do when you're finished, and mm -hmm. talk talk the through students through. And I know I'm I'm at a uh, junior, senior high, but senior, senior high or high school teachers, I think sometimes we feel like, oh, they know what to expect. I'm, I'm kind of talking down to them or treating them like little kids if I do that, mm -hmm. but it is so helpful to walk students through that, to have a visual, to be able to refer back to it if they're off task. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The other big one that um, we had a staff member do some training a few years ago on was timers and just having those visual timers going like on the board or the TV yeah. for students to see how much time is left because it seems like um, even at the secondary level a lot of students have no concept of time that um, is a big one yeah passing periods my dream is to have live countdown clocks in all the hallways so they can see how much time is left before the tardy bell because yeah. you know they stop and use the restroom or they they want to say hi to friends and they just lose they lose track of time they're tardy or they miss the bus or they they're late late to lunch and um time is time is a big one that even some of us as adults have a hard time keeping keeping track of 
Yeah, um, with um the students who have executive functioning issues, the time blindness is a hallmark characteristic. And so the the problem now is that we have everything that's digital. Really what they need is they we don't need to overcomplicate it. They need to look at an analog clock where you can see the hand moving, not not the red timer things, not necessarily not necessarily the digital times, but the actual they need to see the time and be looking at it in real time to be able to 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 feel time and visualize it because the the visualization aspect is often what's missing. So yeah, that's a, a huge one. I mean, that's how you learn to tell time when you were staring at the clock in high school waiting for the the period to be done. <laughs> yeah. Or my teacher, I had a teacher that told me you have this many minutes to sit and watch your thumbnails grow and you just yeah. watch the watch yeah. the second hand. Have have you ever used I don't know if I'm saying it right, but a good visual timer, even though a lot of students can't read analog clocks, sadly. Um, Pomodoro timers, are you familiar with those? Yeah. So there's, there's, um, that's a good, actually a good technique. The whole concept of we're going to work a little bit and then we're going to take a break. That's actually a really good thing to do for somebody who needs executive functioning support, because a lot of times you may be talking about kids with ADHD and they often need that, uh, the dopamine hit, mm-hmm. you know, at the, and so they need to chunk it up like that so that you are providing that structure. So that whole concept of I'm going to work a little bit and then I'm going to do this for 10 minutes and give my brain a break and give myself, you know, some rewards. And then I'm going to go back is really good. But the way to make it effective for them is that it they do need to actually see the time. It's not as effective if you're looking at it digitally, because when you're looking at a number, you're making the assumption that that person has a concept of what that means. And that's actually very abstract. Whereas on an, on a clock, you can see it, it becomes more visual. And that's the same thing with lists and checklists. A lot of times they can't physically see themselves doing the steps or physically see in their head what the end goal looks like. And so how can you plan when you don't know what the end looks like, not just the language, but the visual that goes with the language. And that's why with with my field specifically and my background in language, why there's such an emphasis on executive functioning, because it's all about tying those two together. Because a lot of times checklists, timers, they're so abstract that they don't mean anything, even though they might mean something to you, but that's because you have that ability to internally visualize. And that's another example of like a thing that happens for you automatically internally that you don't realize that maybe some other students don't have. So yeah, it it is a good technique though. Just not, I know Pomodoro is, isn't it 30 minutes on 10 minutes off or something like that? I'm not sure. I think there was some kind of a website or an app that you could kind of customize them as a teacher. What, what I liked about them, the built-in breaks is nice, but I liked how it, it was like a pie chart where if you gave them five minutes to do a task as time passed, um, it would turn the, first chunk of the clock red so they could visually see you know when they were yeah. halfway done or three quarters yep. done mm-hmm. um but it was i had heard about it like people that do workout classes where you do like one minute of a workout and then you take a 15 second rest it was kind of that concept but right but, but in a classroom and more more visual another another t- topic i wanted to ask you about 
Karen, is a lot of times when students have executive functioning issues and we refer them to specialists like you or counselors, we put them in social skills groups that the adult, you know, special ed teacher or counselor leads them through. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that model and its effectiveness with students who need executive functioning help? So really, when we're talking about social skills issues, a lot of times what we're really talking about is executive functioning skills applied to social situations, because you have to be able to read the room, think about what's this other person thinking, um, what, how am I coming across to that person? So you have to be on the spot, paying attention to a lot of different things at once, monitoring yourself. And if you're just in a more of a social skills group, that's a little bit more structured and academic, that's not really giving you the opportunity to apply those skills. So while, you know, what I was saying before with the idea of priming practice in the real world and then review rehearsal, there is an element where doing something in a situation where you're pulled out in a group separately could be beneficial. But if the entire intervention just happens in the social skills group, it's not going to be effective because you're missing that real life application piece. The other thing that is, has commonly come up in the way that I learned to do it, which I don't do it this way anymore because I have, you know, I can, I can think of a number of situations and examples where you teach kids, these are the rules for this situation. Like, this is what you're supposed to do when you're talking to your friends. This is what you're supposed to do. Like, this is the appropriate way to act in this situation. And then one of the big things that comes up is making eye contact, which a lot of people find eye contact very overstimulating. And if they're not making a lot of eye contact and you're trying to force it, then it's just so distracting that it just defeats the purpose of, of doing it. So you're teaching these kids these isolated, arbitrary rules out of context. And a lot of times what you see is that they'll be able to rattle off this list of these are appropriate ways to act. This is what I'm supposed to say when I'm talking to my friends in the cafeteria. But then they don't ever do it because if you can't read the situation and know how to apply that skill, you're not going to ever do it. And so sometimes what happens is that they just don't apply it at all. They can take a test about social skills and pass it, but then you don't see any difference or they'll try to apply it and it'll be really awkward because they're not, you know, and then it's more stressful for them and then they feel weird and then they have a negative experience and it just becomes this whole self-fulfilling prophecy. So they really do need to know how to pay attention to the situation and what's going on. And so the big things that need to be taught are things like perspective taking and situational awareness and knowing how to read the room. And again, yes, you can prime and prep for those things, but then they need to be able to apply it in, a, in an actual situation where they have to do that in order for it to be uh, beneficial. It would be like if I'm a basketball player and I'm working on dribbling and it's like, yes, of course, do I need to know how to dribble? If I don't know that skill, I'm not going to be successful, but I also need to go and do a scrimmage where I'm actually playing the game and people are trying to take the ball from me and I have to pay attention to where my teammates are and all of those things. I'm not going to get better if I don't have that piece. Yeah, not not just be able to tell tell yeah. us the answer, but uh, but apply it. Yeah, and that that can be that can be a challenge. I've seen that where we work with students in those groups, and they can they can tell you what you want to hear, and then they go to lunch and struggle with the same mm -hmm. same skills in the same settings with peers and with adults. 
how can how can principals support this work, Karen? Because if if it's not just something counselors should be working on in isolation and teachers should be a part of that team. What about the building administrator? What's our role in trying to build some of these deficiencies with the executive functioning? So there are a couple things. Um, number one, they that a staff really do need time to work together and talk through these things. That's a huge one. Um, I think that also administrators need to understand what service delivery models are effective. As a therapist, I know that you know, I happened to work in a building where I had administrators who would uh, did not want to micromanage me. And if I came and said, here's a different way that I want to provide services, I want to do more consultation. And this is why this is why it'll help. This is this is what I need from you. Like, here's my ask. I could usually get them on board just because that was the culture of my district. But I've worked with a lot of other therapists who've tried to do some of those things and have gotten pushback because it's like, this is the IEP minutes and this is what needs to happen. And so really just being supportive and understanding of, of helping the, the staff implement those other service delivery models like consultation, coaching, collaboration. Um, and again, you do need direct therapy. That is a, an important component, but it just needs to be beyond that. And so when therapists are being asked to do that, they do need the administrators to support that and to give them the time and also just, you know, even explaining to staff when other staff aren't fully on board with it, like teachers, the community, just understanding that that is, this is, these are different models that we support and we're going to give people the time and um, again, just, just backing them up. In, in implementing those types of things is really key um, because that's that's one of the things that uh, that I know that some of the therapists have struggled with is that they they try to implement it and then they get pushback from people and then they feel like they have to just go back to some of those models that aren't working just to meet IEP minutes. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of different ways that this can present itself. I've, I've just been thinking about all the different labels and symptoms that we see with students in school, whether it be um, anxiety, depression, mental health type issues, or really just good old fashioned behavior issues, mm -hmm. um, non-compliance, defiance, that how much of that do you think is, is directly coming from executive functioning? Like what percent of the, the student problems in the school? So I would say, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say a specific percentage, but if you are doing the rewards and punishment in the classroom, it's like, you know, here's this, this fun activity we get to do at the end of class for everybody who gets their work done. And you have students who are still struggling despite that, then it's not that you should take that away because it is important for kids to learn the, the idea of I do my work before I get to do this other thing. Like that's how the world works. You don't, you know, if you want to sit down and watch Netflix, you've got to get your work done. That's a thing that you need to learn in life. So consequences are fine, but if you have a student who's still struggling, it may be that they have a skill-based issue that's preventing them from doing whatever it is. So when you have those things where you're doing this other thing over here and students are still struggling, then it's likely that there is an executive functioning issue. Same thing where with the anxiety, yes, there is anxiety that exists aside from executive functioning issues. But 
anxiety and executive dysfunction go together because of the ability to plan for future events, visualize yourself being successful, having negative experiences because you didn't plan, and it really becomes tied into self-image, and then you tend to avoid situations. But the only way to work through that anxiety is to have varied experiences, experiences of success, and feeling confident and competent. So you have to actually have those experiences. So again, if you're, you've been in therapy and students are still feeling anxious and avoiding a lot of situations, a lot of times it could be because they're having a hard time visualizing themselves being successful, having a hard time working through those learning curves that's actually going to alleviate the anxiety. So again, when you're doing therapy and students are still anxious, then I would be looking at executive functioning issues as well. But again, this is something that is going to be very proactive in supporting students anyway. So it's it's kind of a good preventative thing to put in place regardless. Interesting. Um, Karen, tell us what's the best way for listeners to reach out to you if they have questions or want to connect? So I actually have a free guide where I outline a lot of the information that I talk about today, what executive functioning is, the relationship between anxiety and executive dysfunction, um, positive reinforcement and why it sometimes doesn't work if there's executive functioning issues. And then I also talk about what everyone's role is in the process in the schools. And I kind of outline how that can look. Um, and so to download that guide, if you if you download it, you'll get the guide. You'll also be added to my email list where you can learn more about information that I have. That can be found at drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash schools. So that is a free guide that you can download. I also have a podcast called De Facto Leaders that is designed to help IEP teams work better together to support students. There's a lot of information on language and executive functioning and just, again, helping the teamwork together. So de facto leaders is on any of the popular podcast directories. And again, on my website, drkarendudekbrannon.com. All right. And then we like to finish on the transformative principle with what can principals do this week, Karen, to be a more transformative leader like you? Okay. Ooh, there's so many different directions that I could go with this, but I would say that, um, let's see here. We talked a lot about giving teams support and helping them work better together. You know, I would say just encouraging their staff to shift their focus from what's going on externally with students, as far as what behaviors that they're seeing and think about what might be going on internally inside, because a lot of times those things that are anxiety, behavior issues, social skills issues, it's really some kind of internal thought process that's going on. So I think that one of the most powerful things that school leaders can do um, and staff can do is just realize that they're make that shift and ask themselves a question of, all right, what this is what I'm seeing externally, but what's going on internally that could be related to this. Great. Well, thank you, Karen. Appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing sharing your knowledge around this subject. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? 
You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.